Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Well, good morning, or guten Morgen. I just came back from Germany, so I had a great time this past week. Went to visit my son, who is deployed, and and uh, he's stationed, or he's, he's over on the base at Grafenwar, and had a great time seeing the kid. The kid is gigantic. He's a monster. I mean, I touched his back, and I was like, whoa, just monster muscles. He's, all he's doing is working out, so I guess that's what you get to do in the Army, but we had a great time. Randy Lamaster did an amazing job last week, right? A great message reminding us what time it is, right? And uh, so just a wonderful message to remind us of those things. Uh, if you weren't with us a few weeks ago, I gave a few announcements that I'd just like to bring back up uh, in case you missed it. Uh, some things uh, that are happening in our church right now. Number one, we are starting a middle and uh, elementary and middle school in September 2024. So we're super excited about that. Um, we're in the planning phases of how, to, how we're gonna implement that. It probably will be phased in, just so you're aware. We've had a lot of questions about, hey, how are we going to do this and that? And I don't know. <laughs> so we need you to pray for us because we don't know how we're going to do all this. We just know God's calling us to do these things. And he doesn't give us step six before we take step one, right? So we walk by faith and we're trusting the Lord. But we do ask for your prayers that God will lay out the things. Um, you know, th- there's going to be issues in terms of space and all this kind of stuff. We're looking at trying to redesign our our footprint or buy different property or whatever. If anybody has an extra like $10 million laying around, uh, the, the uh, mule house is going up for auction on Saturday. That would be an amazing facility, I'm just saying. Uh, so uh, that would be a great school too. But, uh, um, you know, we are in process of, right now we have a, a, an, a, a verbal agreement with the guys next door for parking. So we are getting the parking at DB's over there. Um, hopefully that will be uh, finalized as of next week. I'll let you know. So don't start parking over there until I tell you we can. We don't want to mess it up, man. So, uh, but but that is one of the one of the things that we're doing uh, to help to kind of facilitate. You know, parking is an issue and stuff. So uh, there's some of that going on. Um, talking to a guy above us that has six acres for sale, uh, just right above us, which would be amazing. We could build a facility there or something. So. We're just asking the Lord, uh, you know, we have a ton of options. And that's, sometimes that's also a big problem because you have so many options, you don't know which direction to go. So will you just pray for us? Will you pray with us that God will give us wisdom in that? Secondly, we're starting a school of ministry. If you missed that, if you're a man, you want to be, um, if you feel called to some sort of ministry, then that's a great place to kind of work that out uh, and to, to let the Lord kind of speak to you about what specifically he's calling you to. Uh, and, and to get shored up in the word of God. And so it's also for people who just want to grow in their faith. We have two different tracks, probably a lot of the same classes. But um, so if, if you're interested in learning more uh, about the word of God, uh, about specific things within the church and how the church works and all that kind of stuff, that's the kind of things that we'll be going over. Um, inductive Bible study, all kinds of stuff like that. So you want to sign up for that. We're, the plans are to implement that sometime in the first of the year. So that's our plan for 2024. And then <laughs> finally, we are going to start a Saturday night service in September, 6 p.m. Saturday nights. If you've never done it, it's amazing. Saturday nights are great. So uh, just to kind of help with uh, children's ministry issues and all kinds of other things. So those are the three major things that we have going on. And obviously, those are three huge things. So we would ask you to pray with us and continue to watch. Just, you know, we're excited about what God is doing. And I hope you are too. So, um, and I'm going to lose my voice maybe. So we'll see. We'll see how far we get here today. But also, I want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the house today. Amen? Yeah. Dude, being a father is it's an amazing privilege. It really is. It's uh, maybe one of the hardest things I've ever done, but it is one of the most, you know, just rewarding things that I've ever done. You know, we get to mess with our kids. We get to irritate our wives with our stupid antics. Uh, we get to do all kinds of stuff. We don't actually have to mature. We just age. So that's always a good thing. We can stay 13 forever. 
And uh, <laughs> so, uh, but, but I love being a dad. And I know if you're here today, you probably love being a dad. For those of you who are missing your dad, it's, you know, uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm with you today. My dad is also not here, but I know where he's at. And uh, so, you know, the Lord is also, it's happy Father's Day to him. So for those of you who didn't have a great earthly father, you do have a great heavenly father, and that's what we focus on, amen? He is a great dad, and we want to honor him as well uh, today. Uh, I, I heard a lot of definitions about what a dad is, and I want to share a couple with you this morning. And um, th- this one is, is one of my favorites. It says, first, a dad is someone who wants to catch you when you fall but instead picks you up, brushes you off, and lets you try again. Isn't that a great definition of a dad? That's what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to rescue your kids from every circumstance and situation that they find themselves in. And I will tell you, that is probably one of the most difficult things of being a dad, is letting your kids fail. That is so hard. But do you know that's how God fathers us? You know, he doesn't run in and rescue us from every circumstance, does he? He lets us learn. Because if we don't experience hardships and such, then it's difficult for us to grow, isn't it? But man, being a dad, we get to watch our kids. We get to watch the hand of God work in those circumstances. And it, and it grows our faith at the same time. So allowing your kids to, uh, it, to stumble along the way and, and to just be there for them and pick them back up. I think that's what a dad is. You're to, to, to nurture them and grow them up in the Lord. A mom has a different role, don't they? But a dad, you, you, you're, you're called to disciple your children, and what a great way to disciple them. Uh, the second definition is not so deep, but it's true, and it is this. A father is someone who carries pictures of his children in his wallet in the place of where his money used to be. So I think that's also true. I have four kids, and I have zero money, so... Um, it's the way that it goes. But if you're a father with us today, I want you to stand up, and uh, we want to recognize you here in this place today. Uh, we, we just thank you for what you're doing, how God is using you. <clears throat> and I want to say that, you know, your role, your role here is more crucial today than ever before, to be a dad to be the man who is God has placed as the spiritual leader of your home and the spiritual leader of the church. You have an amazing privilege to be a father here on earth and uh, one that we want to take uh, with seriousness. And here, here's the thing is we won't do it perfectly. They're not a perfect father in this place except for the one in heaven. But yet God, in, even, in, in, even when we make mistakes, he still uses us. So I want you to know this morning, you're not a failure. God is using you. He loves you, and he wants to build you up this morning. And I want to pray over you because you have an incredibly important role. And uh, so if, if those of you, if you would like, you can lay your hands on those who are standing up around you. And we're just going to pray God's blessing, protection, and just his anointing over all fathers in this house. Father, Lord, first and foremost, we say happy Father's Day to you. Lord, you are a great father. You are, you are the perfect father. We thank you, Lord, for just uh, being there for us in every aspect of life, Lord. Even when we're rebellious against you, Lord, you're still faithful to us. You're still uh, nurturing and loving us and allowing us to make decisions. And yet, all along the way, you're there with open arms to scoop us up. Your love never changes for us. We thank you for that, God. We ask you, Lord, today for the men that are standing here, the representing the fatherhood that you've called them to, Lord, that you would... First and foremost, put a hedge of protection around each and every one of these men. God, we know the enemy is trying to destroy fatherhood. He's trying to remove the authority that you have put in place, Lord. He is attempting to de- deconstruct the, the structure that you've placed in this world, Lord. We ask you to lift these men up. Father, we pray that you would cause those who are downtrodden to be encouraged today to know that your spirit is within us, Lord, that you are at work in and through us. We ask, Father, for protection over each and one of, one of these men here today, Lord, that you would just, uh, you would just watch over them and the decisions that they're, that they're making, that you would anoint them with your spirit, God, that they would have the power of the living God living, uh, flowing through them in every aspect, Lord. 
God, we ask you for just continued provision for each man here to be who you've called them to be, God. Grow us, strengthen us, Lord. Challenge us. But Lord, we just lift these men to you this morning. We thank you for them. Thank you for what you're doing in their lives. And Lord, we thank you for your mercies are new every day. And so we thank you for these men, Lord, and we ask for your anointing, your spirit to flow through them now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Awesome. Yeah. If you have a Bible, uh, open up with me to Acts chapter 5 this morning. Acts chapter 5. We're going to start reading by reading one section of Scripture um, and not in order, but we're going we're gonna to really look at verses 12 through 42, but we're going to read really verses 34 through 39 this morning. And so once you're there, if you would stand with me in honor of the Word of God, we're going to read, this is, this is like a Catholic service. Stand up, sit down. Uh, Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 34 He's speaking of the apostles here when it talks about they and them and the men and all that. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care that what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask you now, Lord, to speak directly to our hearts. Lord, that you would, you would just get a hold of our, uh, our hearts this morning in, in areas that you don't have hold of, Lord. That we would give you all access to all areas. And that you would speak to us, Lord. We want to be different people when we leave So pour your spirit out. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. How many of you guys would say that to oppose God is a losing battle? Is that true or false? I don't think you guys really know. I I mean, I think you're sitting there going, "I I don't know. What do you think? You know, what do you think? True or false? It's true. True. This is an interactive service. Seriously, though, it is true. Attempting to stand in opposition of God is... Not really smart at all. And, you know, it is something, though, that even people of God can struggle with at times. Standing in opposition of the Lord. When he's trying to move you in a particular area or direction in your life, and you say, no way, God. Do you know what you're doing when you do that, right? You're standing in opposition of the Lord. Now, I don't know. We can look through the Bible and see different examples of people that do that. Jonah being one of them, it doesn't really work out well for him. Here's what I have found in my life is surrender to the will of God is always the best way. It's always the right way. You know, for believers to stand in opposition of God, do you understand that you're being influenced by the demonic realm? Because it's Satan who stands in opposition of God. It's the enemy who wants to oppose the Lord in all that he's doing in this world. When you are opposing God, you're operating in the spirit of the enemy. The enemy has long been opposing God since the beginning. We see that in heaven, he rose up to oppose God. In the Garden of Eden, he rose up to oppose God. All through the book of Acts, we're watching the enemy rise up through men to oppose God. What I want you to understand in this idea of opposing God is that this is a really an element of the spiritual battle that we are in. This is a spiritual battle, folks. When someone is standing in opposition of God, they are operating in a demonic spirit. 
They're operating in a demonic influence. Uh, Because the enemy wants to stop God dead in his tracks. He wants to silence God's church, and he wants to stop the move of God. That's why we find when, uh, you know, when Pharaoh, or when, when Pharaoh rose up, he wanted to kill all of the children, right? Why? Because that's the demonic working in opposition of God. The same thing with Herod, when he wanted to kill all the children, two years and old. He knew the Messiah had been born. How did he know that? The demonic realm working in and through him to try and kill Jesus. Listen, that spirit is alive and well in our culture today, folks. The enemy is at work. He is trying to oppose the work of God. He always has and he always will. But here's what I know. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Here's what I know, that God wins. And so, you know, when I find myself in a difficult situation and I find myself trying to pick the path, I want to follow the Lord. I don't want to oppose the the spirit of God. I want to be in direct unity with the spirit of God because if I am anything other than that, then I am standing in his way. And I don't know about you this morning, but I want to be in the middle of his will. And God wants that for you as well. The enemy uses all kinds of tactics to deceive us and try and get us into a place of opposing God. You know, there are really two elements of tactics that he uses, and they never change. He questions the word of God, and he questions the character of God. It's the word of God and the character of God. That is the one string guitar that the enemy plays. He never stops playing that guitar. He sings the same song. Did God really say, oh, God's really just trying to keep you from the best in your life, right? Wrong. Questioning God's word and questioning God's character. If you find yourself here this morning and you're questioning God's word or you're questioning God's character, know that you are in a battle. You're in a spiritual battle right now. And the enemy is trying to deceive you into thinking that God is withholding from you, that he isn't everything that he said he was. We have to beware. Here's what I'll tell you this morning is know your enemy. Know your enemy well. Here's, what, here, here's the thing is that the enemy is faithful and he doesn't stop continually trying to stand in opposition. And I will say also that it should not surprise you when you face opposition in this life. When you are living for the Lord, when you are going down the path that God's calling you to go, you can expect, not you might, you can expect that there will be opposition along the way. Hey, there are, there are, you know, there are things waiting for you as you walk down the path, but the Lord is going to work all of that out. He, he's going to get you over every obstacle. And what's interesting about it is God uses every single one of these obstacles to strengthen us, to challenge us, to shape us. It's all part of his plan. So who's really in control here? The Lord. The Lord is in control. Listen, when you face opposition, understand the battle. Understand where you're going. You cannot fight this battle in the flesh. It's a spiritual battle. The things that we find going on in our culture today, they will never ever be won through words. They're won in the spiritual realm through prayer, preparation, through the Holy Spirit. Um, You know, so oftentimes we think we can convince and we can talk somebody into coming to Christ. You cannot. At the end of the day, their heart has to, we, we, what we don't want to do is give somebody a false assurance. It's certainly, we don't want to do that. Our job is never to convince anybody of anything. We're simply messengers, telling, delivering a message that we've been given, and it's called the gospel. And the enemy will stand in opposition of that because when you share the gospel, you are taking ground from the enemy. You're taking ground from the enemy. And, and what we find all the way through the book of Acts is, is the church taking ground from the enemy. The church is taking ground from the enemy. The last count that we had until we get to this point, there were 5,000 people in the church. How did it start? It started with 12. 12 to 5,000 in what? A year, uh, three years and a few months? It's 
pretty awesome growth. It goes from 5,000 to stop counting because, it's, because the church grows so much. And praise God that, it, it did, that they did overcome the oppositions that they faced because we wouldn't be here today if they didn't. God is pushing his agenda forward, but it will come with opposition. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. What we find here is the enemy at work through man to oppose the church, to oppose the church. I feel like it's a direct correlation to where we are today. I think there is a direct parallel to the book of Acts in the early church and the culture and what we face in our world, in America, specifically today, that there is massive opposition. You know, the whole world thinks you're the problem. If we just get rid of the church, then, then we can just have our way and, and move forward. It's the church that is restraining evil currently, folks. The church is the restrainer, but the restrainer is going to be removed. And then we're going to see evil like we've never seen before. Man, you think it's bad now. You wait till the Lord raptures his church. And we'll see what it looks like. And there will be an amazing things happening during the tribulation period and such. But, but understand, there will be evil like you've never seen before. We're seeing a taste of it today. The enemy is not even, uh, you know, hiding himself in our culture today, folks. He is just blatantly out front. And he's saying, do something about it. Do something about it. And I'm up for the challenge. I don't know about you but we have the words of life. Uh, the words of, of, that we carry in the world trump his words. They trump his opposition. All we have to do is be faithful to go where God tells us to go, to say what God tells us to say when he tells us to do and say it. That's all we gotta do. The enemy has intimidated the church in the book of Acts, He's persecuted the church. He's even joined the church. We saw that, uh, you know, last, uh, last time we were together and we looked at the first portion of chapter five, verses one through 11, and it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. We see that right away the enemy is seeing the traction that the church is getting. He's seeing the unity in which they are operating in. They're operating in love and they, they are uh, being gracious to one another. They're, they're outreaching to the community and, and all of this stuff, and the enemy looks upon that, and he goes, man, I can't let this keep going. These people will be unstoppable if I don't do something. So he, he joins the church by way of Ananias and Sapphira trying to sow discord amongst the brethren. And of course, you know that didn't work out well. The Lord steps in immediately, and he deals with that. Hey, Jesus told the, the religious leaders, he told the people in the culture that he was living in, you know, that they were operating in the spirit of the devil, didn't he? He told them that. And they, of course, didn't really see it. And yet we see it through the book of Acts. If you look, you can see how the enemy is working through these religious leaders. Intimidation, persecution. He joins the church. And now he just goes back to the same old thing. He's going to persecute, and he is going to, uh, you know, intimidate these believers here in our story today. I, I've entitled my message, Opposing God, and I've divided these verses up into three sections. First, we'll consider the occasion for opposition. Look at verse 12 with me there. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but... The people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the, the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, as, that as Peter came to at least his, that as Peter came, by at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with the unclean spirits, and they were all healed. The early church asked for two things. After, you remember when uh, they had experienced the, the intimidation, persecution, J um, John and Peter specifically, after they had healed the man at the gate, beautiful, uh, and they were brought before the council, and they told him, do not speak in the name of Jesus again. 
They sent them on their way. They come back to the gathering place where the believers were, and they prayed for two specific things. You remember what those were? They prayed for boldness, and they prayed for continued signs and wonders to be done in and through them. Boldness and signs and wonders to be done. Here we find the answer to those prayers. Right here, Acts chapter 5, verse 11, God is answering their prayer. God hears them. Why? God is answering their prayer because their prayer is directly in line with his will. This is what he wants too. He wants this to work. And I wonder if, we're, if we are up for the challenge to pray the prayer that God would make us bold in this culture and that we would allow his hand to move in and through us in such a way that people would know it's him. Man, these guys prayed that prayer and it was answered. And it says not many, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people. It wasn't like it was occasionally done. It was regularly done. And in fact, they experienced miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. To me, the idea is that miracles happened on such a regular basis that it was like, oh, here's another miracle. Wow, it's, it's just a, another miracle that the Lord is doing because it was happening so much. Now, remember, the purpose of signs and wonders in this culture was to authenticate the messenger. You and I have the word of God, and so when we quote the word of God, when we speak the word of God, we're speaking with authority already. By the Spirit of God who makes, un, makes people understand what's being said. The Spirit of God is the teacher. We simply quote the words and the Spirit of God does what he needs to do in the heart of a man and he brings understanding if they're, if they're willing to hear. In this culture, they didn't have the New Testament. They were writing the New Testament. And so what God was doing to authenticate the speakers, the messengers, was he was working in mighty ways, in miraculous ways. Not to say he doesn't do that today, because he still does. But, but in this culture, in this way, the apostles were setting the foundation of the church, and everybody had to know that this was God. And so he was doing incredible miracles. And, and, and it says that the, the culture around them viewed them in such a way that they were blown away by what they were seeing. And in fact, some of them were afraid to even join. They were in Solomon's portico. Listen, 5,000 people before this happens, gathering together. Where do you gather in Jerusalem with 5,000 people? There, this is a mega church already, and it's just begun. Where do they gather? The only place they can gather. They go to the temple of God. They overtake Solomon's portico. It becomes their church. Peter and the apostles are there speaking the word of God in open air. I love that. I love that concept of just going into the culture and having church. I love when we do church in the park and we're praising God in open air and the word of God is going forward because there are people in earshot's distance that are being affected. And that's what's happening here. People are, people are it tells us that people are viewing them, they're, 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 they don't dare join them, but they are held them in high esteem. You know, perhaps they're not willing to join them or they're afraid to join them because of what they heard about Ananias and Sapphira. That could be. I think that they, at the very least, they see the hand of God at work and they're kind of mesmerized by that and a little bit uh, afraid, to be honest. Whoa, this is God at work here this is something that they had probably never seen before, guys. When they went to the temple, they weren't seeing these kinds of things. They weren't seeing, you know, miracles happening until Jesus showed up. And then when Jesus showed up, everything changed. And the, the same things that Jesus was doing, now these guys are doing. And that should have never stopped. We should still be doing the same works that Jesus was doing. Again, it's all in accordance to the will of God and whatever he wants to do, but, but are we open to allow the Lord to use us in these ways? They were so blown away by what they had seen. It says that multitudes came to Christ. I don't know over what period of time this is, but all of a sudden the church just explodes. And now 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they've got a problem. This thing is getting out of hand. They're going to take over. Remember when, uh, when, when the children of Israel were in, when Joseph went into Egypt and he took the second reign and all of that and, the, and then he, he was sent as a savior to save the nation of Israel? And his brothers joined him there and then they grew and they grew and they grew. And what happened? The Pharaoh became afraid that they were going to overtake him. And so he put them to, to, to slave labor, taxed them. He put them under his thumb. And the Pharisees, I think, are having the same kind of reaction. Where are they getting that reaction from? It's, it's demonic in nature. And instead of saying, whoa, this is amazing. Look what God is doing. They're saying, whoa, hold on a second. They're going to take our glory. And so they're more worried about, uh, you know, the culture being swayed away from them than they are about the things that are happening in and uh, through the people and how God is working. And it, it says here that more than ever believers were added to the Lord more than ever. This, this sets up the occasion for the opposition. God is moving. Hey, I want you to know that God is moving in and amongst our church and don't think for a second that we won't experience opposition. The enemy is not going to let uh, any kind of effectiveness in your life go unchecked. He's not going to let any kind of effectiveness in our lives as a corporate body go unchecked. He is going to check us and And he's obviously accountable to the Lord. He can't do anything the Lord doesn't allow him to do. And God will use whatever humps come in our path to guide us, to shape us, to change us, to make us more like Jesus. And I know maybe you don't, uh, I know my first reaction when I have an opposition in my life, uh, you know, and it's not in accordance to where I'm trying to go or what I'm trying to do. I know my immediate reaction is to be frustrated. But As Christians, what we have to realize is God is at work. If God has allowed an opposition, if he's allowed something in my life, that's because he wants to do something through it. He doesn't just randomly let the enemy, uh, you know, afflict you. He's doing something. And it's so hard to come to that grasp of that idea when you're in the middle of it. That's why you have to come to grasp with it before before you go through it. You've got to hold on to it before you go through it so that when you're in the middle of it, you're reminded, God, I know you're at work and I'm going to trust you through this and I know that whatever comes uh, through this circumstance or situation, you're working it out for my good. If you don't get yourself in that heart, that frame of heart initially, it's going to be very difficult to do it in the midst of a trial. And so this is why we wash ourselves with the word of God. This is why we put the word of God into memorization so that, you know, it's there and we can grasp onto it and and we can use it in the time of need. The stage is set for the opposition. Now we're going to move into the section where we find the characteristics fueling the opposition. Here is the enemy's characteristics. This is what he uses to oppose God. And this is an, an exhaustive list, obviously. But here are the things that he's using in this situation. First and foremost, he, use, he uses three things, in fact. He uses jealousy, the fear of man, and rage. Jealousy, the fear of man, and rage to stand in opposition of God. And he uses that through man. And so the first thing we're going to look at is the characteristic of jealousy and how the enemy is using this to, to, to set up an opposition of the work of God in the life of these believers. Look at verse 17 with me. But, when, but the high priest rose up and all were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, jealousy is an interesting thing. We've all experienced it. We've all seen it. 
probably the best presentation of jealousy is uh, a sibling at a birthday party. Amen? You ever have a sibling at a birthday party and, and they're like five or six years old and their brother or sister's opening up packages and their eyes are like this big and they're like, where's my presents at? I want those presents and you, and you keep having to like, hey, back up, buddy. We're, we're trying to let, our, let our, our brother or sister, you know, open up their gifts and he keeps crowding them and trying to get in there and get the gifts and stuff. Why? Because he's jealous. He's jealous. He wants those gifts. Hey, we're here to honor your sibling. I don't care about my sibling. I want those presents. I'm jealous that they have those presents. Hey, listen, I raised four kids, and there was much of that going on at every birthday party that we had. We had four birthday parties a year. So four times a year, we got to go through that process until our kids got old enough to understand. It's so interesting that the same principle behind that illustration is, is being lived out in the lives of the religious, the religious leaders as they're listening, watching the gifts of the Spirit being poured out upon the apostles, and they're jealous of it. They're jealous of the gifts of the Spirit uh, being given to people other than themselves. In the Greek, the word jealous is zelos, and it can be used in a positive or negative sense. In the positive sense, uh, it means to be hot, it means to be zealous, it means to be fervent. You know, we're to pray with zealous, with a jealousy, with a zealousness. We're to pray fervently. It's the idea in the positive sense. In the negative sense, zealous is nothing, it's, it's an earthly, unspiritual, and demonic characteristic. It's an earthly, unspiritual, and demonic characteristic. That's what James tells us in James chapter 3. Verses 13 through 16. Here's what it says. It's up on the screen for you. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Where jealousy exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And that's what we see happening in the hearts of the, fair, of, of the religious leaders here. They're jealous, and so their actions are going to be vile and defaming to God. And I will tell you, the same thing will happen to you if you operate in a spirit of jealousy. Lord, how come you're doing that in that person's life and you're not doing that this in my life? How come they are blessed this way, Lord, and yet I'm over here in this? Hey, listen, don't worry about what God is doing in somebody else's life. I promise you, if you focus on what God is doing in your life, you'll realize he's doing more than you deserve. He's doing far more than you deserve. God is good, and he's at work differently, uniquely, in all of our lives, but we are not to compare what he's doing in somebody else's life with ours. Be content with where he has you and what he's doing in you. If you're not, I wonder how fastly you'll move forward from that. God is obviously trying to shape and change, and, you know, he's, he's not an enabling father, which I, I really appreciate that about God. I appreciate he doesn't enable bad uh, characteristics in my life, that he speaks into my life relating to those things, and he doesn't let me move forward until he deals with those things in my heart. The, the religious leaders are jealous. They're upset because the apostles are being honored and respected, and God is moving in and through them. And so they do what, what any demonically influenced, jealous religious leader would do. They remove them from society. They put them in prison. They, they remove the threat. They put them in prison. I love what John MacArthur said about, 
about this idea. He said, a, power, a pure and powerful church will inevitably provoke a hostile reaction from the satanic world system. The apostles are making such impact that they're, they're facing hostile reaction from a satanic people, from people who are being influenced. Now, I know it sounds weird to say that because they're Jews, but you realize Jews come to Christ, this, or Jews come to, come to faith the same way you and I do, right? It's by faith. It's by grace through faith in Christ alone. It's by grace through faith in Christ alone. The, the religious system, the, the sacrificial system that was set up, you know, in that culture was meant to point them to Jesus. When they went to make sacrifices, those sacrifices did not save them. What they were supposed to be doing when they made sacrifices, when they took that lamb and they slit his throat and they watched the blood flow from him, they were supposed to be looking forward to the Messiah. Their faith was to be not in the lamb, but the lamb. Not in the physical lamb, but in the spiritual lamb that was to come. That's the picture that we have of the Passover. The children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And the Lord says, take a Passover lamb, take the blood, put it on the doorpost and the lintel, and, you know, consume that lamb. And when the, death, the angel of death flies over, you will be protected. It's by the blood that you're protected. The religious system of the day was symbolic. And it was meant to point them to Jesus Christ. And it's so interesting that they would miss that because John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Christ, when Jesus is walking, in, immediately John the Baptist calls him out, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, if I'm a Jew and I understand the culture and the things that are going on there, that would mean something to me. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world? You mean... That's the Messiah. That's who we're looking for. John called him out right away. The religious leaders knew. And yet, they were blinded by their own jealousy. They were blinded by their own jealousy of Jesus. He's their Messiah. And they miss him. And so they imprison the disciples. Hostile reaction because they're jealous of what the Lord is doing in and through them. And it goes on to, to tell us that at night, an angel came. An angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. I think this is hilarious, personally, because the Sadducees don't believe in angels. And so the Lord says, well, the angels that you don't believe in I'm going to send to, rem to extract my apostles from the... I, I think it's funny. And when they go, we'll see here in a second, when they go to get them, the doors are locked, the guards are in place. They don't know what happened. They're expecting to open the doors and see the, the apostles sitting in the cell. And they open it and they're not there. The, the angelic host takes them. I don't know how he escapes them, whether they just walk through the walls or how the Lord did that. If he just blinded the eyes and opened the door, I don't know. But what I know is he rescued them from this point. And here's what I want you to hear, though. The rescue was not for the purpose of perseverance, but for the purpose of service. He wasn't preserving their lives. He was using them in a service to the Lord that he would open the eyes of the blind. This is the Lord reaching out to a hard-hearted, blinded religious people. And he's saying, how did they get out of there? You have to know this is me. And yet they reject it. Angelic host sweeps them out and he tells them this. As soon as day breaks... You go back to the temple and you speak the word that they told you not to speak, Jesus. And you go present the gospel to people and you go speak in the name of Jesus. And so when daybreak comes, we find them hightailing out of town. No. They didn't run away from the storm. They ran into the storm. They, they understood their mission. 
They understood what they were called to do. They knew that God was up to something and they weren't going to run away from it. Just like when the Apostle Paul was stoned outside of Derby or Lystra. He was stoned and left for dead. And any reasonable person would have gone up and gone the exact opposite way that he came from. What does Paul do? He goes right back into town and he preaches the word of God. Bruised up, bleeding, you know, just got stoned, not the way that you think, you know, not, not, not the Colorado stone, but he got stoned by the rocks and he goes right back into town. There is a precedence that's set in scripture about believers. And it's that we don't run away from conflict. We don't run away from uh, the things that are being set up against us. We don't run away from opposition. We stand in the Lord and do what he's calling us to do. And I'll tell you, if you don't do that in our culture today, you can expect to lose whatever we have uh, left of currently. You can expect to lose it all. If you don't stand, the only thing holding back our country from going headlong into all kinds of wickedness is you and I, is the church. And that's why they just want to remove us. They want us out of the picture. And one day we will be. But until then, we don't run away. We stand our ground and we speak the word to the people and the culture that we live in. Because, hey, if there's anything that we've learned, the things that have been going on in these liberal states, you know, um, that it is coming here. It's not going to go away. The enemy is not going to allow, uh, you know, he's going to set up opposition in every state. You can expect it. And we should expect it because Jesus said it was going to happen in the first place. Don't run away from the battle, guys. This is the time where the church of Jesus Christ needs to rise up. We need to be like these guys, understanding our mission. That Jesus didn't save me to preserve my life on earth. He saved me for a life of service to call me home, where he will then preserve me for all of eternity. That's the purpose of our lives here on earth. Not only was jealousy a characteristic that we see in these people, but the fear of man. Look at the rest of verse 21. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the, peop uh, the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the door, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain and the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So the Sanhedrin is present, they ask for the apostles to be brought forward, and the guards go to get them, and they're not there. It's an empty, it's an empty jail cell. Can you imagine the kind of statement that was made in that moment? And yet we oftentimes overlook the most obvious things when we're operating in the flesh and under the influence of the demonic, don't we? We miss what God is trying to say to us. God was trying to get their attention. And he was trying to soften them to the reality that Jesus was actually the Messiah. And in the moment when they're all confused and they don't know what to do, some dude busts into the dude through the door. And he's like, hold on a second. I found them. They're out in the temple preaching the name of Jesus. I'm sure that lit them up. I'm sure they were furious. And yet, a miracle had just happened. And they're not focused on that at all. They're focused on why aren't they in here? The apostles didn't run away. They went right where they were supposed to go. They were obedient 
to the Lord. They ran into the fire. They ran into the, the, the lion's den, really, just like the Lord called them to. Hey, what is God calling you to do? Is there something that you are not doing that he's called you to do and, you, and you're not doing it because you're afraid? Maybe it's speak to somebody about a sin that's in their life and you're afraid to do it. Maybe it's, uh, you know, to stand up in, in a place and uh, maybe it's your workplace or whatever and, and let people know where you stand relating to these things because you've just been going with the flow. And now all of a sudden you're lumped into this whole idea of they don't know who you really are. And so you've got this, you're incognito Christian and now, now you're, you're caught in between the middle. Hey, listen, today is the day when we make a stand and we just say, hey, I'm not gonna play the games anymore. I, I, you know, it shouldn't come to a surprise to anybody that you're a Christian. And if, if it is, then something's wrong. Right? We should never, ever hear those words. Hey, I didn't know you were a Christian. That's not a compliment at all. Like, people should know where you stand. Not because you're being blatant and being, you know, uh, forceful and, you know, trying to push yourself on people. No, because you're, you're making it known where you stand in, in situations as they come, come up. Listen, you don't have to look for conflict. Do you know that? It's everywhere. You don't have to look for it. It'll just show up. I mean, it shows up in my house with my wife. It shows up in my house with my kids. It shows up at the grocery store. It shows up in the airport. It shows up everywhere. And here's my responsibility in the midst of every conversation that I have. I'm responsible for how I respond. And sometimes I have to just let people know where I stand. Yeah, I'm not okay with abortion. I don't, I don't think that that is a biblical, yeah, but, uh, you know, it's, the, no, no, I don't, I mean, there is no logical uh, explanation of how you can justify that, and that's where I stand. You don't have to be rude about it, you don't have to be ugly about it, but you do need to say something. You know, we, we, it, the days are gone when we can be Switzerland, guys. The days are gone when we can, we can just play both sides of the fence and act like we're, we're just going to, you know, avoid as much conflict as possible. Those days are gone. And if you play those games, then you're part of the problem. So, you know, today is the day that we have to stand up and we have to fight for the right, not to party. We are not the Beastie Boys. We have to, we have to stand up and fight for the right to speak the truth in the name of Jesus. And if you don't, you'll lose that right. It's interesting that the fear of man is used to their benefit in this situation. But most of the time, the fear of man is used to your disadvantage. It's used to keep you from doing the right thing. But here, God uses it. It's still wrong. Regardless, if these guys are afraid that, that the people are going to, I don't know, be, be violent with them or are going to dislike them. And so... Uh, rather than just go take the apostles by force, they fear man. And so they try and subtly talk the apostles off the platform into the council room where the Sanhedrin are, which is, hey, that's cool. The Lord does that. But I want to tell you that the fear of man characteristically is not of God. Characteristically, the fear of man is a snare, the Bible says. It's a trap. And it stops you from doing what God is calling you to do. Beware of it. It's, it's demonic in nature that we would care more about man, man and what they think than we would the Lord. The fear of man here. The third characteristic we find, verse 27 through verse 33, is rage. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them and saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in his name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you, have, and you intended to bring this man blood upon us. But Peter and the apostle answered, we must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. So here we find 
the apostles trying to reach out, the Lord once again being incredibly gracious to the Pharisees who have hard hearts that don't want to, they don't want to hear it, and yet the gospel is being presented once again to them. Sometimes we withhold the gospel when we shouldn't. And we kind of use this idea of, well, we shouldn't throw our, cast our pearls before swine, which is biblical. That The idea of that means that you shouldn't push the gospel on people when they don't want to hear it. But, but there are times when we should share the gospel and we should push forward and we don't. And that is sin. And we should, we, we should be willing to press forward in that. Here, God is pressing forward with the gospel, presenting it. Peter and the apostles are not recanting. They're not, they're not stepping backwards. They are pushing forward. And Peter's just making it super plain. Hey, Jesus, the one you, whom you killed, his blood is on your hands. They're trying to say like, oh, don't, tell, don't, don't, don't be saying that the blood of Jesus is on our hands. It is on your hands. It's the truth. And God sent his son, uh, you know, for the purpose of repentance for the nation of Israel and for the forgiveness of sins. That's why Jesus came. And you want to kill me for that? That doesn't even make sense. And yet we are blinded at times by our own feelings about things. Here, the feeling is rage, anger. Well, I'm just mad because, you know, because you're, you're doing this and that or whatever. And at the end of the day, it's like a temper tantrum, to be honest. And they're so enraged about what they're seeing, unjustified, by the way, that they're blinded by the truth that God is trying to present to them. This is the grace of God to me. Because God could have easily caused them to skate out the door and never to be seen again, but God gives them one more opportunity to come to Christ right here. And he brings the gospel face to face with them once again because he loves them. And he loves the people that are, that are in your life that are an affront to you who are opposing you, who are a pain in your spiritual rear end. And yet God loves them. Understand, the, the battle that we face is not flesh and blood. Every person in the world God loves and he wants to reach. And I know that we can easily get that mixed up in our minds when we are in the world and we're experiencing difficulty with a, a particular person and you're just like, oh, I wish that person wasn't here. And yet, let me tell you something, God put them in your life. God put them in your life. You're responsible for them. And maybe God is trying to do something in you through them. But I promise you, he's trying to do something in them through you. I almost messed that up, but I didn't. So these guys are enraged. They're upset. And Peter just says, listen, you told us not to preach the name of Jesus, but we're going to. Should we obey God or man? This is what's called civil disobedience, where they decide we will not obey you. We will not obey you. He's just making it plain. He's making it just straightforward. You can expect for us to continue to press forward with the name of Jesus because God told us to do this and we're going to obey him. And so they're enraged and they want to kill him. Now we find the third point, which is really the wisdom that God brings in the midst of opposition. God brings wisdom here. And God will bring wisdom in your life when you're facing opposition here through a man named Gamaliel. Look at verse 34. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all, all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do to these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody and the number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. 
you might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Gamaliel was a famous teacher. Paul was a student of Gamaliel. Uh, and, and you have to wonder whether Paul was part of this conversation even. He could have even been in that room when this was happening. Uh, nevertheless, what we know is that Gamaliel was held high in honor by the people. God used him here to stop the madness. He brought wisdom in the midst of opposition. What's interesting is it seems to me that Gamaliel isn't sure whether this is of God or not. And he knows that the Pharisees and the religious leaders are certainly not sure about whether this is God or not. And so he takes the reasonable, logical moment here and he says, listen, guys, if we've seen this before, twice, through Thaddeus and Judas. If it's of man, it will, it will just die out. Because a movement in, in the power of man is only going to go as far as that man can go. And once he's gone, it's gone. But it's if, if it's of God, you'll never be able to stop it. It will just keep going and going and going. And so he says, I suggest that you just leave these guys alone and let's just see if this is God. Man, I hope he got saved. I hope I get to talk to Gamaliel in heaven. Because to me, it seems like he's open. And who knows? I don't know what, whether he came to Christ or not. But what I know is right here, the Lord is using him. And he seems to have a heart for the Lord. And so what they do is they bring them in, the apostles, and it says they beat them. And we could easily just gloss over that and move forward. Oh, yeah, they beat them. No, they beat them. They scourged them. 40 lashes minus one, 39 lashes. The scourging, the same scourging Jesus took with the cat of nine tails. They slap it on the flesh and they rip it. And it's glass and shards of, you know, sharp objects. And it just cuts your back open, cuts your arms open, your sides. I mean, these guys got beat. And they didn't walk away going, man, I'm not going to ever speak that name again. I'm not going to ever say the name Jesus again. Look what it got me. There is something beautiful about suffering that they recognize in this moment for the Lord. They recognize, man, these present sufferings are not worthy. They're not worthy to be compared to the glorious inheritance that I have coming for me. I'm on mission for Christ. He told me I could expect these things and that it's an honor for me to suffer the same sufferings of Christ. Why? Because it says I'm doing something right. Because I'm standing for the Lord and people are seeing that. So here they, they're, they're beaten, they rejoice in the Lord. When's the last time you rejoiced in your suffering? When's the last time you rejoiced at being counted worthy to suffer for Christ? Again, these are people who understand their mission. They know what they're here for. They're walking in boldness, the boldness that they prayed for. They are walking in it. They are given the miraculous hand of God is working in and through them through signs and wonders just like they prayed for. All they had to do was simply obey the Lord and walk where he tells them to walk and do what he tells them to do. And do you know that's the same story for you? He's done all the work. It's his power in and through us. We're simple vessels. And all we have to do is say, Lord, fill me and use me. Lord, fill me and use me. Give me boldness and let your, hand, your mighty hand work in and through me. And if you'll pray that prayer, you will watch God do amazing things through you. He's looking for loyal hearts in this day and age to show himself strong. And he wants to use you. So let him. Here's a church on mission during opposition, and they, they pass the test. They pass the test. They walk away. They, they, they had scars. I'm not saying they walked away unscathed. 
but they pass the test and they rejoice in that. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and we just thank you for reminding us, God, that even though as opposition comes in our lives, Lord, that you're at work, you're doing things in our hearts and our minds, Lord. You are, you're working in and through us, Lord, to shape us and change us, but you're also at the same time speaking to others as we stand an example to you, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would uh, just move in our hearts this morning, God. You know what we need. Maybe there are some here that don't know you. Maybe there are some that do, and they're, they're not living the mission that they've been called to. God, we want to return to you and repent, and we want, Lord, to ask you to fill us with boldness and that we would be willing to allow your mighty hand to work in and through us. God, may we stand for you. We pray your Holy Spirit flood our hearts and just move in and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us? Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.